Well, good morning, and what a delight to be able to be with you, those who are here in the sanctuary leading worship, and for those of you who are watching online, uh, I am just grateful to have an opportunity to have a word to say, to look reflectively at scripture with you, to celebrate who we are and who God is. Now, I confess that I have developed a bit of a reputation when I travel and preach of being one who asks a lot of questions. And so, uh, not surprisingly, I've come with a question for you. And, and, and that is, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> right? I mean, you remember this question, right? I mean, you know, at about six years old, you're confronted with this great existential crisis. What do you want to be when you grow up? I don't know. I just want to know if we're having ice cream for dessert. What do you want to be when you grow up, and, and of course, as a, as a child of the 50s and 60s, you know, it, it, was, it was the kind of the typical stuff, a, a fireman or a policeman or a doctor or an astronaut, because, you know, we were just reaching out into space with programs named uh, Mercury and Gemini and Apollo. Now, that, that, those were the choices for a little boy, <laughs> I don't remember that there were quite as many choices for little girls. I, I remember nurse and secretary and mommy, but I don't remember all of those other things and the images we were given in the books we read of little girls getting to do those same things, period. And now, of course, as I've grown older, I'm still sort of trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, but now it's more, who do I want to be when I grow up? We have a, a friend who is a, a very close friend of ours who is a retired teacher, and uh, she is just the, the nicest person you would ever want to meet. She's the first person to call if she hears there's a problem and to show up. I have never heard her say an unkind word about anyone. And, and Laura often says, I want to be like her. That's who I want to be when I finally grow up. For me, I suppose it, it might be former President Jimmy Carter, who say what you will about his presidency, since he has left that office, has done a remarkable job of bringing people together. And now, having suffered cancer and strokes and all kinds of other health issues, and in his 90s still shows up at Habitat Builds to give people some hope and a sense of ownership and belonging. I, I, I want to be Jimmy Carter when I grow up. Now, if you ask my grandson, he's got this figured out already. At the age of four, if you ask Teddy, what do you want to be when you grow up? He'll tell you flat out, he wants to be a superhero. And he knows which one. He knows the who as well. He wants to be Spider-Man. Most days. Some days it's Iron Man, but most days it's Spider-Man. You know, this, this whole questioning of, of, of being is, is all a part of becoming, isn't it? And how we answer that question, even how it's asked to us. It's a part of this self-realization of discovering who we are so we know how we're supposed to be in the world. I, I love the, the Genesis poem that opens up our biblical story. You heard it twice today, so when I ask a few questions about it, I hope you'll be able to answer them, right? 
It, 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 Rob, great job with telling that story. And, and, and Stephen, thank you for a meaningful reading that gave life and vitality to these words that are so important. Now, there's a little background sometimes that's helpful to have about this story. And, and, and I know that uh, some folks feel that all that historical stuff that's behind it is often best left in the pastor's study. But, but I, I, I want to share a little bit about how this story came to be because I think it even makes its meaning more rich and deep for us. The, the story of, of creation as we know it grew up alongside another story of creation as best we understand it as, as the nation of Israel began to articulate this poetic prose, this beautiful uh, story of how God created the world, they, they were actually in captivity in the nation of Babylon. The northern kingdom had been carried off, the, the lost tribes of Israel scattered to the winds by the Assyrians, and a little bit later then came the Babylonians to, to destroy the temple and remove the nation of Israel from its land and take them to Babylon. And they heard the stories of, of, of how these folks who seemed to be on the winning side of this God versus God story, right? You know, Yahweh apparently had been defeated. Their God was not there. They were out of the promised land. The temple was gone and there was Marduk, the God of Babylon, who had, who had come into being in this this bloodbath of a war between the gods that involved patricide and matricide and, and fratricide. It was a bloody conflict and Marduk had arisen victorious in the end slaying his own mother Tiamat the dragon and turning her inside out to form the earth. And human beings came into being to do the grunt work that the gods of Babylon did not want to do for themselves. And their job, not only to clean out the canals and, and do the dirty work of caring for creation, but also to gather the sustenance, the fruit of the land, and bring it to Babylon, where it so happened the god Marduk was supposedly dwelling. And the richness of the land was offered in tribute. Now, since, Mar since Marduk wasn't exactly there, the king of Babylon stood in his place and took all of those resources. But as the children of Israel reflected on the nature of who they were and who they understood God to be, they began to, to think a little bit differently than the Babylonians did. That this was a God who was so powerful, there was no need to do battle at a cosmic level, but God simply spoke. And from God's creative imagination sprang forth all that is. That's pretty good stuff. And as you think about it, God has this relationship with the creation that God has made, not seeing it as something that needs to be taken care of by those who are subservient, but something that God richly loves. I hope you heard it. As, as Rob told the story as a part of our worship and wonder, as, as, as Stephen read the scripture, did you hear it? On the first day, what did God say when God was done? It was good, right? Step a little closer to your computer screen so I can hear you. Put your hand on the radio if you will, because this is good stuff, right? At the end of the second day, what does God say? 
This is good. Thank you. Uh, on the third day, what does God say when God is done creating the stuff of the third day? It's good. On the fourth day, what does God say? This is good. On the fifth day, God hasn't changed God's mind. God says, this is good. And in fact, on the sixth day, God doesn't just say that it's good. God says, this, this is freaking awesome. I delight in this. This is really, really good. And, and, and as we think about the story as Israel thought about God and about their relationship with God, they realized that, that, that this creation was made by a God who was faithful to them in such a way that they would always have everything that they needed in order to be sustained for life. That, that the creation itself brought forth in, in, in every plant there was a seed, in every fruit tree in the fruit there was a seed, there was, there was enough. There was enough that the, that the creation didn't just survive, but it thrived. And, and to the human creatures that God has made, male and female, God made them. To, to these creatures, God says, be fruitful and fill the earth and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and everything that creeps upon the face of the ground. God says, rule in the world the way that I rule in the cosmos for the benefit of every living thing. Let the resources flow so that nothing is without what it needs. God faithful to creation and challenging us right from the beginning to be faithful in return to all that God has made. The identity, you see, the question of of who are you, this great existential question many of us wrestle with, is answered in the Genesis poem. You are a steward. It doesn't use that language per se, but the inference is quite clear. If we're to care for the earth and everything in it the way that God does, so that it has life, so that it can be the best it can be, so it can achieve its ultimate potential, then then there is no way to see this except as stewardship. You're a steward not just because you joined the church. You're a steward not just because you were baptized. You're a steward not just because in a few weeks you fill out a pledge card. You were steward because fundamentally at the core of your being, this is what you were created to be. It's not something you choose to do but something you were created by God to be. It's not simply a work, it is a grace. And in Jesus, we, we see the model of the true steward, the one who manages the infinite hues of grace on behalf of the divine. In Jesus, I find myself as I am created to be. I find that being a steward is more than just about giving. It's more than just about generosity. It's more than an attitude about my possessions. No, it is whole life. It touches everything that is a part of me and my experience. You see, to understand who we really are and what a steward really is, we have to push beyond the understanding that, that when someone stands up to talk about stewardship, all they're talking about is money. 
you see. Now, we're not going to abandon that conversation. Trust me, it's a part of the whole. But exploring and discovering what lies behind what it means to be a steward is necessary, not only for the sake of the church, but I believe for the sake of the world. Because the problems we face require us to imagine ourselves and our relationships with with a sense of care and compassion and mutual responsibility. To understand that we are stewards and servants, therefore, because we're caring for an earth that ultimately does not belong to us. It was created by God and it belongs to our children, so we are stewards of the earth. We are servants of the one who it is said the earth is, and is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But we're also partners, not just servants, lest we get trapped in that Marduk understanding of the world. We're partners. I go to the Apostle Paul, who you know was looking for partners to address those in need. He, he went to the Corinthians and to the Macedonians to help the saints in Jerusalem who were struggling and hard-pressed. And we know that the Macedonians in particular were extraordinarily generous that they first gave of themselves and then they joyfully gave all that they had to the work and the mission. Now, Paul might be trying to shame the Corinthians just a little bit <laughs> to encourage them, to inspire them, but he is calling all of them to be equal partners in the care for those who are in need. So we are servant and we are partner, but I'm going to go to my grandson and say we're also superheroes. We're superheroes. If you think about it, they all have their own identity issues they struggle with as you know their backstories and how they come to know what their powers are and the struggle of what they should do with that power. Should they serve themselves or should they serve others? So that question of how we use our own power, our own wealth, our own influence is right there. Do we use it for the enrichment of ourselves or do we use it to benefit others? You know, we have a lot of power. Spider-Man says, with great power comes great responsibility. Thanks, Teddy. So here comes that self-realization that there isn't any problem we can't solve when we know we are stewards and how we are to actualize that in our lives. Hunger, clean water, health care, shelter, justice. We can tear down all the barriers that strike at the powers that would hold people from becoming who they were created to be and how they are loved by a faithful God. We can envision new ways of economic power that allows resources to flow where they are most needed so they don't become stagnated with just a few where they really do no good. Remember, money is just a placeholder. It only has the value that we choose to give it, so having piles of it really doesn't mean much if you don't use it. Right? So, so we, we have some power here. We have some creative ways we can approach the problems of the world. It, it can achieve limitless transformation. We can save the planet from destruction, both from climate change or global war, if we just understand what it means to be a steward. Because as a steward, I'm automatically involved in the combat against racism or sexism or ageism. I am a steward of the truth, sometimes which is painful, 
about the church or about the nation. But in telling the truth, I'm being faithful. And I'm being a steward that in fact, it has not always been equal opportunity for everyone. It's been good for me as a heterosexual male through my lifetime. I've had a really easy playing field. Not that I haven't worked. Not that I don't have a sense that I've, I've earned some of what I have, even though I realize at some point it's all grace. But it has not been that easy for others. It is puzzling to me that in in the year 2020, we still do not have an amendment to our own constitution that says women are equal to men, let alone gay, lesbian, and trans transgender wasn't even in our lexicon when the, the amendment for equal rights was being considered. And somehow we have been unable to get this done, and yet that's at least as a legislature. <laughs> but you know... People have a way of getting things done when they need to be done. And who would have thought that a woman could be vice president of the United States, let alone a woman of color? That, that wasn't in the pictures and the books I was reading when I was in the third grade. Thank God we changed that. Because what it's saying is that everyone, anyone, can be anything that is remarkable. And I suppose it would be irresponsible of me as a person trusted with the pulpit this week not to say at least something about the election. Now, I need to say a few things about it, really. The first is that the idea that any one man or woman can unite this country assumes that the country wishes to be united. And it's willing to do the hard work of being a nation together. You know, hate is a much easier path than love. Contempt is much easier to conjure than respect. I really believe that if we are to be a United States, it is up to us, to up to all of us, regardless of who we voted for or, or what party we affiliate with, to make it so. Gloating as a winner or refusing to accept defeat when handed a loss will not get us from here to there. The ball is in our court, folks. Will we steward the legacy of democracy we have inherited to create a better world? Or will we squander it on a spending spree of wanton self-interest and willful ignorance to the suffering and needs of others? Win or lose, we're in this together. And success or failure belongs to all of us as a reward or punishment for the actions we take as we go forward from this moment. But I remain encouraged. I remain encouraged because I know that God is faithful. I remain encouraged because I know that those who seek to be who they have been created to be in their faithfulness are changing and transforming the world. I, I think about the things that happen off of this campus that you support with your generous gifts, that your offerings, with your time and your talent, the, the, the ways in which we go out and, and through Fed with Faith, we feed hungry people. We don't ask them who they voted for. We do not ask them what color we are. We don't look at that. We don't, we don't care what language they speak. 
What we care is that they're our fellow human beings, and as a steward, we know we are responsible for them and for their welfare. That's what stewardship does, you see. It feeds hungry people. It brings water to the thirsty. It makes you a superhero. You have superhero powers. You can break down the barriers that oppress, that abuse, that hold people back in want and need, that separate rather than divide human community. You, you have the power. You have the power to let resources flow to change the world through your generosity. And the only question today is, will you use them? Will you be faithful to your own true self to be the steward you have been created to be? Because ultimately it's what all of us want to be when we grow.